Welcome in. This is episode five of the Card Chronicle podcast, a special Saturday edition because we have what I think is the biggest game of the Louisville basketball season going down later tonight in Durham, North Carolina. Louisville taking on Duke on the road. College game days in town. It's a big opportunity for U of L basketball. Uh, so we wanted to go ahead and make sure that we got a pot out for this game. We're recording it Friday night. I'm here with uh, Dumpster Dan Sennard. It's his official name now. It's what people are calling him. Um, we're doing this Friday night late because we have kids, and it's really the only time that we get to ourselves anymore. Uh, Dan, how are you? I'm good. I can't believe that's the nickname that's sticking, but I'll, <laughs> I'll ride it out for for now. But yeah, I'm I'm absolutely, and I'm sure you're feeling the same way. I you know, uh, it, it's Friday night, and I don't know how I'm going to sleep. I'm absolutely jacked for the game tomorrow. I, I agree. I think it's our biggest game of the season, and. This is the reason we joined the ACC is for these type of games, and um, I couldn't be more pumped for it. Before we get into the minutia of Louisville versus Duke and, and have some fun with this whole thing, should say that as we as we sit here and talk, the Car Chronicle podcast is the number 34 sports podcast in America, according to Apple Charts. Uh, that's because all of you guys have given us uh, you know, five-star reviews. You, you've written nice stuff. It's all because of you guys. I know how the algorithm works. I know this isn't going to be uh, a long-standing thing. I wouldn't expect us to be top 30 or top 40 uh, long-term. But for right now, I think we can say, you know, suck it first draft with Mel Kuyper. Uh, you're below us. Suck it uh, Buster, baseball tonight with Buster only. Suck it. Uh, suck it the Michael K. Show. You're behind us. Suck it Mike <laughs> Francesca. Uh, you're behind us. Suck at the right time with Bamani Jones. All of these podcasts, Dan, are worse than the Card Chronicle podcast. Uh, How does that feel? Um, it, it's surreal, to be honest. Um, I, I, I'm going to have a hard time if we pass the Grilling with JR podcast. I saw that <laughs> was floating up there, and I was like, man, I don't even want to pass good old JR. I, I hope he stays at his place. But no, I the the reviews that people are leaving and just the outpouring of support that, you know, the podcast is getting has been absolutely awesome. So much appreciated. I think the most surprising thing to me in all this is how many popular WWE podcasts there are. Like you mentioned, <laughs> first of all, we are still, it just updated a little bit ago. We are still comfortably behind grill and Jr. Uh, he's at 29. <laughs> we're at 34. But uh, so we've been going back and forth with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's back in front of us. He gave us the stunner. Uh, he's back at 32. But then there's like WWE after the bell with Corey Graves. And I did. I, I don't know any of these sites. I, I don't know a lot of these people. But the amount of people who responded to me when I posted earlier, like where we were on these charts, who were like, good, I hate this guy. He's no... Uh, He's no Jerry the King Lawler. He fucking sucks. I was like, okay, people are really into WWE podcasts. I know your brother's one of them, but I didn't know this was a big thing. Yeah, my uh, my brother Colin got me on the Stone Cold podcast, and I'm not going to lie. There's some pretty good episodes in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does them down at the Broken Skull Ranch. Uh, definitely, you know, if, if you got time, listen to a couple of those if you want some good uh peak wwf stories from the late 90s but yeah um it is pretty surreal how many wrestling podcasts are on there i agree all right let's uh let's talk a little louisville duke and i think we'll start here because you kind of and you and i talked about this um i was gonna say off air but off pod uh we discussed the fact that you were on the last time we recorded pretty confident about saturday's game um you said my reaction sort of jarred you <laughs> when I was it like, did. I was like, I was like whoa. My, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, when, yeah, you, you gave me like the, oh, and I was like, okay, well now I'm absolutely rattled. But I mean, I, I just think out of all years going into Cameron, um, 
I don't know how good this team is. They've lost at home to Stephen F. Austin. I do hate that they're coming off a loss to Clemson. That just absolutely sucks because you know they're going to come out like gangbusters, especially being at home, being a primetime game day game. Um, but, you know, with not being very deep and kind of the depth that we might be able to throw at them, I, I think it's a good matchup for us. But, yeah, we can kind of get into that here in, in a second. Yeah, I was going to say, like, looking around um, the internet and listening to some College Hoops podcast or, uh, basically all day Friday, all of the five college basketball writers at Sports Illustrated picked Duke to win. All of the four college basketball writers at CBS picked Duke to win. Um, Jordan Sperber, who does the Hoop Vision uh, podcast and uh, YouTube videos and runs that website, he's got Duke winning. I haven't seen a single person pick Louisville to beat Duke besides Dumpster Dan Sennard. And so, so you're like the only uh, – you're an expert now. That's the, the podcast is so big. You're the only person going out on a limb um, and, and taking the cards. What makes you – I mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit there earlier, but like what makes you supremely confident about Louisville's ability to go in there and get what would be, I think without question, its biggest win of the season? I think even though I know we haven't played the most stellar competition the last two games, I think those two road wins and how we won them are going to be pretty big for our confidence. And the fact that we've had people step up at the end of games, Um, you know, obviously going against Coach K, uh, he's, he's one of the even though I despise him a lot of the time, he's a hell of a coach Um, and one of the things and that that's probably going to worry me most about this game is our other three losses. It seemed like, I don't know so much the Florida state game, but especially Texas tech and Kentucky, their key was they're going to take away the three ball and let somebody else beat you. Um, so for me, the matchup I, I or the thing I really want to see, and to be honest, I don't like when we do this a lot, but I'm going to want to see it early tomorrow. I really hope we establish Steve in the post early um, one, just cause you know, he's the last couple games, he's been a little bit off, but two, um, if we can get carry, uh, in any sort of foul trouble, that would mm-hmm. be huge because I think the only big guy they really have coming off the bench is, uh, Javin Delorier, and he's more of like a rim runner. Kind of reminds me of like, a, uh, we'll say a throwback card, Terrence Farley a little bit. Um, you know, Terrence of, Farley. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're all coming out tonight. Um, but I would like to see Steve get established early, see if he can draw some fouls. And the one thing I want to see from Steve, I hope he can catch the ball deeper in the paint. Like he has post moves that obviously belong in the NBA. They look really good, but I, I can't stand when he catches the ball so far out. Like he had a move, I think, in the Notre Dame game where he could have easily just caught the ball, taken a drop step over his left shoulder and laid it in. But instead he turned over his right shoulder from like the – side of the backboard and tried like a over English hook shot that like went off the rim. So I, you know, I know he can make those. I really just want to see him kind of get deeper and he might be able to finish more of those that maybe haven't been falling for him. But yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It's just something that their roster doesn't overly make me nervous um, compared to past Duke rosters. And I just think our group of kids are going to be ready for the hostile environment that, that we're going to walk into. You said a lot of stuff that I agree with, but I can't let you get away with calling Terrence Farley a rim runner. Um, were you thinking of maybe <laughs> Terrence Jennings? Yeah, I mean, Terrence Farley, like he towards the end of his career, he would like 
you know, a lot of follow-up dunks on fast breaks. He, I mean, what he Terrence was, Farley are you thinking of? <laughs> the, the, the NIT? Do you not remember him going off in the NIT? Uh, I, I square guard. We'll, we'll have to look it up because I swear <laughs> he had a nice couple game stretch. I, I know he was a, a little bit. I think I actually might have played against him in high school, but um, that was a humble brag. But anyways, yeah. uh, the only thing that I remember about that run was when we remember, like we snuck into the Big East tournament that year. I think we were the 11 seed. Um, it was the first year in the conference. We only got in because Taekwon Dean hit that buzzer beater against Notre Dame to send it to overtime. And we won that game. The only yeah. thing that I remember about Terrence Farley during that stretch of time was he hit the one free throw when we were down like 26 to oh, nothing yeah. to, to yeah. bid in the Big East tournament. Pit. That, was, that the, was a disaster. I, yeah. I waited the whole day for that game. It was like the late game. It was like 11 o'clock tip. I'm like, I think we can make a run here. And it was like 26 <laughs> to nothing. But we actually came back and yeah, made it we kind did. of interesting. But he, yeah, hit the free, he hit the free throw because uh, David had gotten, uh, I think it was Paget had gotten hurt, and all of our other big men were uh we're out so he had to play and, and that was the the one thing that i remember about that time i think you make a good point too i like the fact that we're coming into this game after playing in two road venues especially the, the last one playing in pit you and i talked about in the last pod about the oakland zoo it's not you know it's not the biggest student section in the entire world but they're right on top of you and they're nasty and they say nasty shit and it, it can be really really intimidating and i think that's a good thing for them going into cameron indoor stadium where the students are they're on top of you like they are at the Peterson Event Center. They're much louder, and there are many more of them, but, like, they're also fucking dorks. Like, like it's yeah. it's not – they're not going to say as mean stuff. It's basically just going to be, like, a bunch of kids who don't really know the rules of basketball yelling in unison and doing their cheers. Like, it's, it's what's more the about, song? What's the song they play? I, I always, like, Tears uh, in Heaven. Or, I, no, I forget it's, what uh, it's that Cascada or Cascada or whatever. I mean, it's on Every one time of my running. Up. It's it's on one of my running playlists. I won't deny it, but yeah, I mean, like to get you hyped up for a basketball game, uh, that's a little much. The video, yeah, it's every time we touch by Cascada or Cascada. The video of Grayson Allen coming out to that uh, at their Midnight Madness event or whatever it was a couple of years ago <laughs> and acting like it was the most badass thing of all time was the. Oh God. I mean, we make fun of Duke a lot, and I say we as like a a collective like the rest of the world besides duke fans that was the easiest video to make fun of in the entire world but uh, anyways like i don't think that this louisville team is going to be overly intimidated by the environment like i don't think if, if they lose and they lose handily it's not going to be because because of that because they're in all of cameron or, or whatever i think it's just going to be because they played poorly and duke played really well um but as far as if you want to flip it you mentioned vernon carey i think you make a good point about Stephen enoch because vernon carey for as good as he is and as impressive as his numbers are, and he hell, he might be the national player of the year if the season ended today, he's still not a great defender. He's a good shot blocker. He's a really good shot blocker, but he gambles a lot, and I think he can be exploited. And I think the other thing, I was on um, Shane Ryan's pod, who, who does uh, Duke stuff earlier today, and he mentioned you know, when Vernon Carey's gone up against a really long, really athletic defender like the Sims kid from Clemson in their last game, he struggled a little bit. Like his numbers are dramatically lower than when he can just dominate an undersized guy. And I think that this is a, as much as you would give up a little bit of offense with Steven Enoch, if you take him out of the game, Malik Williams, I think is the perfect guy to slow down Vernon Carey defensively, whether or not he does it is on him, but he fits the mold perfectly. Louisville's got a, a night. I think this is a game where that two headed monster inside, if it's playing better than it has the last, uh, the last week or so, I think it can be really effective on both ends, both those guys. Let me let me ask you a question. Um, and I love Malik, but did he get a new set of legs this year? 
like everything he does around the rim just seems so awkward. Like the way he falls, he's like on the floor all the time. Um, it, it just seems like he's like having a hard time working like with his legs. I'm like, all right, Malik. But no, I agree with you. I, he's he's like one of our leaders on defense and Carey uh, definitely struggles with length. Um, another another position I'm looking at is obviously point guard. Uh, with Trey Jones, you know, he's definitely, I think, kind of the the engine that makes him go. Um, but I like the fact that we're going to be able to throw at least three different guys at him. Um, and again, that's that's not a position, you know, Trey Jones plays a lot of minutes for them. So um, hopefully we can wear him down. Let me, I, I want to ask you a question. What's what's your opinion? And we're about one and a half years in the Mac era here. What's your opinion of the pack line defense? Are you a fan of it? Um, is it something that, you know, you, you wish we would switch up defenses every once in a while? Cause I have an opinion, but I kind of want to hear yours. I love, I mean, I, I think that any defense can work if you have the right pieces in place and everybody gets on the same page. I think this is still, it's still kind of in its infancy, uh, as far as the pieces that Mac has to work with, aren't the perfect pieces for the pack line. Like you've got to have big guards for this to really work effectively. Like, I know you don't think of big guards when you think of Virginia, but Ty Jerome was 6'5 last year. Kyle Guy was 6'3 last year. Like, they had the right pieces to play that, and Louisville just doesn't. So I think if he can get the pieces in place, um, it'll be better. It, it'll look uh, – and Louisville's not a bad defensive team by any stretch, and they weren't a bad defensive team last year either. If you're asking me my preference, it's – I loved the, the, the style that we had under Rick Patino, and I hate that this keeps being like a, a Mac Patino type thing, but I love that we – every single year would slowly incorporate new defenses to the point where once we got to March, Mm -hmm. we would play multiple defenses in a single possession. And it just, it fucked everybody up. And I think that that's why Louisville was so difficult to prepare for in March because you, you know, you didn't have a a set style to go up against. You you couldn't just on short rest. If you won on Thursday and we're playing Louisville on Saturday, you couldn't say we're going to use this offense against because they play two, three, or we're going to use this offense because, they're playing straight up man-to-man, and they're always going to switch on the high ball screen. You had to in- install like a-, a ton of different things because you never knew what was going to be thrown at you. So, yeah, I think I-, I preferred that a little bit. But that's not to say that this can't work if it's done really well by pieces that that fit the system perfectly. I agree with you. And before the year, I'll be honest, I was a little worried about our defense going into the year because I think towards the end of the last year, we kind of, you know, defensively really let down uh, going down the stretch. But I've been pleasantly surprised so far by the defense. The only thing or kind of the only complaint I have is and I know last game, I think Pitt had like 16 turnovers, but it seemed like 11 of those were travels. It's just a defense where we're not really going to turn the other team over and create extra possessions for ourselves. And with that, that's that's the thing I think on. For us, our offense, I don't know if we are disciplined enough with the ball um, to be able to play a pack line defense where we don't get those extra possessions because we do turn the ball over and can get a little bit loose with it as well. So um, I, I do think when we get the right guys in there, um, you know, it can work. Obviously, Virginia won the title last year with it, so we know it can work. But um, for me, it is frustrating sometimes because I think we could be a good fast break team, but we just rarely get to see it because, you know, we're, we're it's, it's hard to get turnovers in the half court. And, um, you know, I, I do like here's what I was the reason I brought that up. I think it was a uh, game in Duke Louisville, like the first year we were in the ACC. I think the teams are pretty even. 
And the game was kind of back and forth. And then I remember right in the middle of the game, Coach K threw a 2-3 zone on us. And we went ice cold. And I think we ended up getting run out of the building. And it's something like that that, you know, I wish we could kind of incorporate in our arsenal. Like, hey, you know, if things aren't going our way, it would be nice if we could throw in another defense, just kind of catch the catch the other team off guard and, and see how they handle it. It's funny that you use Coach K as an example because I think the thing that frustrates Duke fans a lot with him is that he never does anything besides play that straight up, straight up man-to-man except for the <laughs> last couple of years when he's just had you know freshmen that just could not get it. And so he res- sort of has just kind of, I think, given up and done it a little bit more. Hasn't done it with this group. They're gonna, you're going to see straight man-to-man from Duke, and, and they're pretty good at it. They're not the, the best defensive team in the world, but they're number five in Ken Palm in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're the only team in the country that's in the top five in both, uh, in both ADE, uh, I, I should say, uh, adjusted defensive efficiency and adjusted offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. So it's not really a big weakness, but if you had to pick one or the other, I still think it's probably the defense. But the game you're referring to, I remember, it was, uh, I think it was the wideout. We wore the throwback uniforms, and Duke just threw a zone at us, and we couldn't hit shit. And it was just uh, the most frustrating game in the entire God, that was terrible. It was awful. It, it was real, real bad. And the crowd was just desperate for any sort of run, and it just never happened. I think what's going to be interesting with this game is I went back and watched a little bit of last year's game, even though it didn't happen. We're never going to talk about it again. Uh, It was the worst thing in the entire world. But Louisville, I'd forgotten, we ran like an offense that was basically just a high ball screen last year. Like That was was how we started almost every half-court possession. And it got us like wide open three after wide open three after wide open three against Duke. Fast forward to this year, we're hardly using the high ball screen at all. We use it a little bit more against Pitt than we've seen, uh, especially when David Johnson was in the game. But against Duke, they have the sixth best three-point defense in all of college basketball this year. They've defended the ball really well. They want to force you to beat them off the bounce because they know they have Vernon Carey back there to block shots. They know they've got some good size there. And Louisville, in the ACC play, this is wild, they're shooting a better percentage from three right now, 44%, than they are from two, 42%, which is an outrageous stat. Louisville's got to find a way to get three-point looks. Like I, As much as I love when we can get baskets off the bounce, we haven't been a very good finishing team for most of the year, especially against quality competition. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Chris Mack kind of brings back some of the offense that we saw a year ago, not just against Duke, but the entire season, to get open looks for guys like Dwayne Sutton, uh, to get open looks for guys like Jordan Warren, do that little uh, butt screen at the top, maybe use him for a pick-and-pop situation. Because like I, maybe we can beat Duke if we go you know, two of 10 from three, if they, if they limit our outside shots, but I don't think we can, like, like I, I would be surprised. So I'm really curious to see what Mac throws out there offensively, defensively. If you watch last year's game, we just didn't guard Trey Jones. <laughs> like if you go back and watch whoever was guarding Trey Jones basically acted as a second help defender. Um, we, we dared him to shoot. We dared him to do anything. We had no faith in his ability to be an offensive player. He's much better on offense this year. Um, but he's still only shooting, I think, 35.6% from three. He's a good scorer, but he's only a good scorer when he gets to the lane. I wonder if you're going to see Darius Perry or David Johnson or whoever's guarding him sag off him again and make him beat us from the outside because if if you're giving up the outside shot to somebody else, I think that there's a much more likely chance of a guy like like Matthew Hurd or like one of the other shooters lighting you up in the perimeter than than Trey Jones. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I agree. I'm I'm really interested – um, especially after last game and how well DJ performed, um, kind of what the usage is going to be for our guards. Um, I think fresh 
Uh, he's, I, I think since the Kentucky game, he's playing with a lot of confidence. And obviously we saw what DJ can do last game. I, I think the real nice part about us going into this game as well, uh, God, Jordan is shooting the ball so well right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could just get him going early, um, it seems like he just kind of engages more in the game. So, you know, I, I the fact that it's a seven point spread, uh, you know, maybe that's that's normal. I just I just really think not only can we cover, I really think, you know, it's going to come down to the end and, and we got a live shot here. But that remains to be seen. But I, I have the utmost confidence in this team that we can go in and, and get a W. And that would be huge going forward. I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't think I'm quite as confident as you are, but I'll be shocked if this Louisville team, you know, if they look like they did against Florida State, where it's obvious for 40 minutes that they're the inferior team. Oh, like, I'll be surprised if they lose by double digits. I think that they're really going to keep it close. And I think they have a better shot to win this game than a lot of people besides you uh, seem to. <laughs> I, I think this is also, this is a big moment for Jordan Wara because, I mean, this is ESPN showcase game. I know that you've got um, you got NFL playoffs, but that's not till Sunday. This is kind of like the first Saturday where it feels like the college basketball takeover that's coming after the Super Bowl is sort of setting up. It's a loaded day. A lot of people are watching this game. ESPN's been hyping it up all week long. The only other game this year where there have been eyes like this on Jordan Wara was that Kentucky game, and he was he was awful. He he wasn't very good in the Texas Tech game, which also was nationally televised on ESPN. I think that his numbers are really impressive. But Jordan's very aware of his perception right now, which is that he's a guy who can fill it up against, you know, nobodies and fill it up against the weaker teams in his conference, but who has not been good when the lights have been the brightest so far this year. I hope that doesn't make him press. I hope he he steps up to that challenge. He was really good in that Duke game last year until he fell apart in the final minutes like everybody else. Yeah, um, I, I think that he this is a big game for him. This is a it's a referendum, not just on Jordan Wara, but I think this is a referendum on the entire Louisville team. Like how how they fare in this game is kind of going to be how the rest of the country views them until like we get to March, because we don't really have another spotlight game. Like at Florida State, it's a big deal at the at the end of the month, at the end of February, I should say. But it's still it's Florida State. Like you're not going to get the same level of attention. This is a big time deal, and I think that everybody's kind of curious about Louisville because. They've got one decent win over Michigan. It's their only quad one win right now. And in their other big spots, they haven't looked very good. So I think that this is like the takeaway from this game is going to remain the takeaway for the rest of the country. I mean, really, until we do something significant. Is, is that fair? Yeah, no. And, I, you know, just from not that I mean, we'll have fan interest going to the games regardless. But this is like one of those wins when, you know, if, if we were to win this game, when we come back home for our next game. You know, the fans, they just have a little more extra juice, even if we're playing. I mean, I don't even know who we play after this game, to be honest. George Tech, baby. Oh, Josh Hasner. Yeah. Josh, he's coming Yeah. So shout out Weber there. But um, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, it would kind of engage the fan base a a little more all the way up until March if we were to win this, because I think from a national level, um, you know, I know we had a number one ranking at, at one point, but I think, you know, that would put us right back in the conversation being around, you know, with all the top 10 teams losing in the past week or so, um, you know, there's, there's a golden opportunity for us there uh, tomorrow. And I'm just, I'm hoping, I hope we come out and at least play like we're capable of. I would be really disappointed if we laid an egg. This is kind of the, the unspoken thing, too, that probably is going to start being talked about a lot more, especially if Louisville loses on Saturday. 
there aren't a whole lot of opportunities for those quad one wins uh, left on Louisville's schedule because the ACC is so down. And if you look at it right now, our only quad one win is over a Michigan team that lost to Iowa tonight and that has, uh, you know, I think what have they been since that game against us? They've been four and five. Like they have, that may not be a quad one win when March rolls around. And so if you're looking at Louisville's schedule, we have no quad one opportunities at home as it stands right now left on our schedule. Um, we, we got quad one road games against uh, against Syracuse, against NC State, against Virginia, and against Florida State and Virginia Tech, I should say. But we have no none of those opportunities because you, if it's a quad one win, it has to be a top 30 team in the net rankings. And that's a little bit concerning if you lose this one because then you start to press a little bit. And if you're wondering, I, I think that there's a lot of, uh, of misconceptions about the net rankings. It matters more who you've beaten then it matters what your actual ranking is yourself. Uh, for instance, if you're like the number two team in the net and you've got two quad one wins, it's better to be like the number seven team in the net and have five quad one wins for seeding purposes. Like they care. It's a grouping tool. It's not a, a ranking tool. The committee cares about how many quad one wins you have, how many quad two wins you have. They don't really care about your own personal net ranking. So Louisville has to start compiling some of this because right now the profile is a little bit thin. You're one in three in those games. This is going to be another opportunity for you. And it's easily the biggest name, and it's easily the best team that you have left on your schedule. I know FSU is a good team. We saw how good they were, and it's a bad matchup for us and all that good stuff. But the computer rankings love Duke right now, and they're going to continue to love Duke through the rest of the season. And I think Duke is honestly better set up for success moving forward. So forget about you know ACC titles and rankings and moving back in the top 10 and all that good stuff. This is a big-time game for, for March for our Selection Sunday profile. This could be a game that takes Louisville from, like, that four seed range to maybe a two seed. Like, I, I think it's absolutely that important for our resume. Yeah. I mean, get your shit together, Bayheim and Tony. Bennett. <laughs> we we, we kind of need you guys to start stepping up so we can uh, have some good games on the schedule. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I will, uh, I will definitely be inebriated during the game tomorrow and on pins and needles, but I, I couldn't agree more that it's, it's, it's a big one. And um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. You mentioned, I think that you're not alone in being sort of upset that Duke is coming off of a loss here. And I know that that seems like a an overblown thing and we're doing it up because we're fans. The stats actually kind of back up that it's not a good deal. Since 2017, Duke is 12-1 and in games immediately following a loss. And they're 9-4 and against the spread in those games. They're winning those games by an average of 19.8 points uh, per game. So... Yeah, I mean, maybe would have been a little bit better if Clemson hadn't been storming it's, the floor it's, Tuesday night. It's because Coach K takes away all Duke apparel that they have, and basically, <laughs> I mean, that's the only reason they're they're just they're just college athletes without a team name. Um, whatever, yeah, whatever mind games Coach K plays, or you know, I, I'm sure some of it has to do with the way he's able to work refs. But no, I mean, he's he's one of the best coaches of all time for a reason. As much as sometimes I've, I absolutely despise the guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he figures it out and, you know, although God, we'll, let's see who they lose to last year with the elite eight. Was it central Florida? Was it sweet 16? No, they lost to Michigan state. Did they lose to Michigan state? Okay. That, they beat, uh, Dawkins. They beat that's UCF. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. But I don't know. He usually has them there in the end. So credit to him, but yeah, definitely coming off a loss. Um, you know, not really the time you want to play them, but it's prime time. And if, if, if this isn't a game our, our team can't get juiced up for, then, you know, they shouldn't be playing. 
All right, we talked a lot about Trey Jones. We talked a lot about Vernon Carey. Those are the two biggest names on this team. I think two other guys that we have to at least mention. Cassius Stanley is a weird matchup for Louisville because he's six foot six, plays on the wing. I think that's probably going to be Dwayne Sutton's guy, and Dwayne Sutton has been fantastic on defense all year, but he's a limited athlete. And Cassius Stanley uh, famously, I think, mm-hmm. broke Zion Williamson's vertical, vertical leap mark before the start of the year. And if you've watched them play this year, it's pretty apparent that that's not a, a fluky deal. He's an absurd athlete. That's a tough matchup for Louisville. And then also, I'm curious to see which one of their players gets hot from the outside because we're probably going to do what we did to them a year ago. Mm. We're going to back off Trey Jones. We're going to back off their dribble drivers. We're going to make them beat us from the outside, kind of what we've done with Florida State and Kentucky, who did so effectively. That makes me scared about like Alex O'Connell. It makes me scared about Joey Baker. If he's healthy, if he does play in this game, there hasn't been an update there. I know Jack White was like, one for five billion. Don't last don't year don't you say, don't you say Jack White. Don't he's, if Jack if I know this year. I know I know. But if he's the one that does this in tomorrow, I might be getting a new TV. It'll just piss me off to no end. But um, Here, yeah, but we know who it's gonna be though. It's gonna be Matthew Hurt. I mean, yeah. that guy. He is he is a carbon copy guy of someone who goes for twenty five against Louisville. And I'll tell I I told this story on like I said on Shane Ryan's podcast. So I'll tell it again here. Um, this was the summer of 2015. I was at a, a wedding where Rick Pitino was also. Rick had maybe had a couple of vodka tonics. I don't know if he was feeling a little <laughs> bit loose, but he started talking to me about prospects and recruiting and all this stuff. And he brought up Matthew Hurd, who I think at that time had just finished up his freshman year of high school or was going into his freshman year of high school. He was young. And he said that he was going to be the best white college basketball player since Christian Leitner was the exact quote, which is why, like, People always give Rick shit for the just the absurd hyperbole. That's who he is in real life. Like, like I, I don't know him. Like, I'm not like the like the closest person in the world to Rick Pitino um, in, in real life or anything like that. But in the little com- amount of conversations that I've had, he still exaggerates. He still does stuff like that. He gets so caught up in the moment. That's who he is. But that like that comment from him, I was like, okay. I was like, is this, is this a real thing? And he because he's from Minnesota, and he thought I knew Richard had hyped him up, and he said. You know, he thought that we had a really good chance of getting him. He knew Richard couldn't get him at Minnesota. But I was like, this guy's going to be incredible. And then he's been, you know, OK this year. Yeah, listen, my my nickname in, in college was Captain Exaggerate. So I hold no grudge against anyone that likes to exaggerate. And Rick was around long enough to when you knew, OK, like he's bullshitting or he, he's just kind of in. I, I think he called Jared Swapshire a, a like Scotty Pippen light at one point. <laughs> um, and, you know, we all know the Mike Mara best shooter ever come through Louisville. So, I mean, you know, take it for what it is, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm looking kind of right now and yeah, if, if, if this was the guy that put up 25 again, God, just something about Duke players are just, they're so easy to hate. Like, I mean, I have nothing to, Ill, no ill will against this guy, but I know by the end of tomorrow, I'm going to be like, God, fuck this kid. Um, but yeah, I, you know one of those guys, whether it's O'Connell, White, or, or Hurt, one of these guys might get hot from the outside. But, um, you know, we, we've been playing good defense, so we just got to stick with it. Is the Mara, Mike Mara being the greatest high school shooter he's ever seen? I don't know how, like, why did Louisville fans, myself included, settle on that as, like, the the one quote that we always use as the generic example for Rick Pitino's exaggeration for his hyperbole? Like, there were a billion over the years, but for some reason, that one stuck with everybody. Like, my favorite one of all time, and I wrote a whole po- 
this is a chapter in the book that I wrote, um, was his exaggerations about the first round opponents in the NCAA tournament. And I, I honestly don't think that he knew what he was doing. Like, I, I don't think that he was, <laughs> it was a joke. But if you go back, and, and I did this for the book, almost, I think, with the exception of like twice when we played 16 seeds, every time Louisville had the press conference after the NCAA tournament draw came out, Patino referred to our first round opponent as the toughest first round opponent that I faced in my <laughs> blank years of coaching every fucking time. Like Louisiana Lafayette in the 05 run, Stanford when we beat them by like 50 points, Boise State in 08, like all these teams. He said the exact same thing every time. And then when I finally, I think, wrote the thing, he stopped doing it the last two or three years. I don't think that the two were, were uh, maybe related, but it was just kind of funny how it worked out. Like, but the Mara, for whatever reason, that quote just seemed to to catch everybody's attention. All right. Uh, are you ready for trivia time? <laughs> I'm I'm actually very nervous, and and next next pod we're we're gonna reverse this, and I'm gonna try to stump you as impossible as that may be. But um, okay. yeah, go ahead, lay it on me. All right, Duke has won with their last win at Cameron Indoor. It was the 900th game that they've won at Cameron Indoor Stadium. That's the most of any team in college basketball when it comes to their current home venue. Can you name? And I'll give you four guesses. Can you name two of the other top five teams in this category? Teams that have won the most games at the home venue where they currently play? Kansas. Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse is number four. That's correct. Um, let's see. God, they're home. Oh, man. Um, UCLA? UCLA at number five is correct. Pauly Pavilion. You're two for two. I, I'll say this. Those two, I think, were the ones that you had a chance of getting. Numbers two and three are very, very difficult. Um, gosh, someone like the St. Joe's at the Palacera or something like that. Uh, I'm going to give you partial credit for that because the, the correct answer is Penn. You're talking about the Palestra. Yeah, uh, that's actually number two on the list. Okay. So uh, you're two and a half for three. Can you, okay. do you care to guess what number three on this list is? And this to me is a stunner. Oh my God. Um, geez, Tennessee. That's a good guess. You're actually really, really close. How about this? Um, go ahead. Go ahead. The Vanderbilt Commodores at Memorial oh, Gym. Okay. Number three. Number three. It's those uh, those funky benches. Yeah. No. I got kind of. I was trying to think of like gyms that may have been around a while. Um, yeah. And so what? We got one left. No, no, no. That was it. You're, that you're was done. it. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. I can't you, count, you did I can't well. That was five. That was good. That, that was good. Uh, <laughs> right. You mentioned how much that like everybody hates Duke players. And so I'm, I don't want to do the thing where it's like, who's your least favorite Duke player? Because everybody says the exact same thing. It's like it's all the white guys and then Shane Battier. Like he's like the he's the reverse Rooney rule of Duke hate. Like he like everybody feels bad that they only say white guys. So they're like, who's somebody else? They're like, oh, yeah, Shane Battier. Fuck him. Like he's, he's in there, too. So I don't want to do that. Who are your three favorite Duke players of all time? If you had three Dukies that you liked over the years, who were they? Okay. Um, number three, I love formerly Jason Williams, now Jay Williams. He was so fucking good for them. Like He was incredible. He's always my answer when people say, like, who's the best college basketball player of your lifetime? That's who <laughs> that, I always say. His game at Maryland was one of the single-handedly best college basketball basketball performances I've ever seen when they were down, I think, like, nine or ten with under a minute left, and he basically uh -huh. just willed them to victory. And 
scored all the points. Um, so he's up there. Um, number two, God, this one was <laughs> this one was tough. You're probably gonna be like, oh my God, I don't know why. I just like this guy's game. I was a Mike Dunleavy guy. I okay, <laughs> no, I, I respect that. Yeah, I like Dunleavy. I liked his game. I think uh, I think he was on the team that beat Arizona in the national title game um, early 2000. Uh, yeah. Um, so I liked him. And then one of my favorites, the Alaskan assassin, Trajan Langdon. Oh, oh yeah. my God. That guy could pull up from anywhere. He was absolutely deadly. I absolutely loved his game. He was awesome. So what about you? I've got Trajan Langdon on my list too. I thought he was, he was awesome. Actually, I loved that uh, 98, 99 Duke team that lost to Connecticut in the national title. Corey Maggette, yeah. Corey Maggette was not my favorite. He's not on my list, but William Avery is. I love oh, William yeah. Avery, and he was the first. Um, he was the first Duke player to go pro early. I think, um, or he was like the most infamous Duke player that went early because Coach K after that game was like, "Now he'll be back and all this shit." And he was a sophomore, and William Avery was like, "You paid me to come here, so fuck you. I don't have to do anything. I got the dirt on you. I'm gone." Um, the whole Myron Piggy stuff was going on back there in the late nineties, but I loved him at Duke. So those are my, my first two. And then this is a uh, generic, but I mean, how can you not say Zion Williamson? I mean, he was, yeah. I've never had more fun watching a, like, like a non Louisville player. Like he was just can't miss TV all last year. I thought he handled everything really well. He seemed like an easy kid to root for. Um, it became the year of Zion. I know people got annoyed by it, but my God, I mean, how can you not watch a, a cinder block bitten by a radioactive spider playing basketball. Like that dude was fucking unreal. So those are my three there, but I liked, um, I, I I'm with you on Dunleavy. Like he was kind of fun. He wasn't like Josh McRoberts kind of annoying oh, God, Duke, big Duke white him. guy. Jeez. He was like, he was fun. Duke white guy. I, I was, a, I was a fan. Now, is there, is there a player who's hateable for Duke that you're like, you know what? I actually probably don't hate him as much as the rest of, as the rest of the country does. Like right now. No, like in you know the past maybe like twenty twenty five years. Um, I loved watching JJ Reddick play. <laughs> That's my answer. I, I was a big Reddick guy. Like I think he was he had so much swag when he stepped on the court, and like I just thought he was a baller. But yeah, I mean Dude, I know a lot of people can't stand it, but he was so good. JJ didn't help himself though. Like the whole. I'm going to respond to people not liking me by going on national TV and talking about how I write poetry in dark basketball gyms. That was weird. Like, yeah. That was, <laughs> I mean, I liked him on the court. We'll keep it that. I liked him on the court. I mean, you want to talk about misjudging a room. Like JJ Reddick is like, I know how I'm going to get all these, like these fat, like overweight dudes who like only watch sports and who hate me. I'm gonna, I know how I'm going to get them on my side. There's one way to their hearts and it's poetry. Like, that was just the biggest miscalculation of all time. It just made everybody hate him 10 times more. But he's actually become, like, a really likable dude in the NBA, too. And I think his – I know he's got a successful podcast. He just seems like a, a laid-back kind of fun guy that you would like to hang out with. So I'm cool with J.J. Redick. And, and how can you not like a dude who's just throwing up threes on every single possession? He was really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I agree, 100%. All right, um, final thoughts, 6 o'clock. This is uh, – I mean, we've we've – We've broken it down. This is a monster game for Louisville. You're clearly confident about the game. Do you want to give me a final score? I didn't even look at like Ken Palm or like what the over under is. So I'm like taking a shot here. Um, I'll say, God, I'm like, if the cards get blown out, this is going to look so bad. Uh, I have faith. I'll say cards 72, Duke 69. I like that. I, I think that there, 
I think it's going to be a higher scoring game. Um, I know Louisville's offense has been a little bit spurty. I think that they can take advantage of this Duke team. I think that, man, I think it's going to be really close. I really want to pick Louisville here. I'm going to go against my better interests, and I'm going to say that Duke wins the game. I'll say Jesus, 70. traitor. Oh, my I God. Know, I know. I know. I hate it. I'm going to say 79-77. I think it's going to be – like, I'll be shocked if this isn't a, a really good game. Um, that's kind of where I stand. So I, I hate to do it, but would love to be wrong. Would love to be having a podcast here on Monday where we're just celebrating and, and laughing at how wrong I was. But it's a Duke team that, like we said, they're pissed off. The numbers are good just across the board. They've become a, a solid defensive team. They take away kind of what we do well on, on offense. But the thing that I, I do like is Chris Mack had a unique game plan for them a year ago. He had a unique game plan for the Kentucky game this year. If you didn't hear us talk about that, like he had 10 days to prepare and he ran a couple of sets. I think this chin continuity action that we hadn't run at any point uh, since he'd been here. I think he didn't even run it at Xavier and we scored on eight of the 13 possessions there. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's got like a special wrinkle uh, for this Duke game that we haven't seen just yet, especially since we played Pitt on Tuesday, a team that we'd already played early in the year and didn't really have to scout. So I kind of trust Mac's ability to to game plan for something like this because we saw how well he did it last year. It wasn't really his fault that everything just went to shit in the last you know five minutes of the second half. I mean, is that a safe reason to feel semi-confident about this game? Yeah, and here's here's one request I have for the game. If we have a late lead and we're taking the ball out on the press, I love Ryan. I mean, I think he's he's great. He's played really good defense this year. Can we not put Ryan on the press break? Like uh, we got, we can put David in. We can put Fresh in. Uh, you know, I I'm I can't stand when we throw the ball into Ryan. And you know, I, I love the kid, but sometimes you know, if he gets some pressure, he gets a little weak with the ball, and I just don't trust him. You know, dribbling or making passes in the backcourt. So that's that's my one request for Chris. Um, I know he's a good free throw shooter, but let's you know, on the press break, if it comes down to that. You know, let's let's go with some other options there. By the way, my wife's favorite thing about this podcast so far is how you just refer to Chris Mack as Chris. She thinks it's hilarious <laughs> that you just like casually talk about him as if you like are going to text him right after. You I get feel off the weird pod. saying like Chris Mack, Chris Mack. I don't know. <laughs> like, well, we're just going to go with Chris. All right. Yeah. What up, Chris? I, no, in all seriousness, I think you're totally right. We talked after the Notre Dame game about how they're. Like, there are Ryan games and non-Ryan games. I feel like this is a non-Ryan game. I actually feel like Darius Perry and Fresh Kimball can both play in this game because Trey Jones, for as good as he is, he's he's 6'3", and that's, a, I think, a generous 6'3". I don't think that he's overly intimidating for either one of them. I do think he's a weird matchup for David Johnson, who's a little bit looser with the ball. I mean, Trey Jones is going to he's gonna try to pick pockets. He's one of the best stuff guys in the entire country. But I think the other two guards, like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Darius Perry and Fresh Kimball both have the same type of game that they had against Kentucky. I think they can play in this game. Ryan McMahon, it's a little bit, I mean, it's a team that defends the three really well. There's there's no other way around it. Um, yeah. You have something else? Uh, the last thing I was going to say, how much anxiety are you going to have if like we're up like 11 with five minutes left and they throw a press on us? I know the team is different this year than last year. Last year, you know, they had athletes all over the court and we're just basically taking the ball right out of our hands. But if we're up like 10 or 11 and they throw a press on us, I'm probably going to watch the game with a blanket over my face because I won't be able to handle us watching to break the press. If we're up 20 with like three minutes to go, <laughs> then I'm going to have anxiety. It's like it's like the Lamar Jackson uh, Florida State year because Florida State had come back on us so many times that even when that game was like 52 to 14, there were people who were like, 
hold on, like easy guys, like everybody hold up. It wasn't until like we were literally up 75 on them and the fans were getting ready to storm the field that everybody exhaled. I think it's going to be the same type of situation, especially if Duke does bust out the press. But we've handled that stuff better this year. I mean, Chris, I agree. Mac talked about it like we've handled pressure. We didn't handle it great when it came to scoring against Florida State, but we have held on to the ball a lot better in those situations this year. I think we're a, a much better team, a much more prepared team to handle stuff like that. Um, all right, we mentioned you can find the podcast now anywhere. If you if you have the opportunity, please give us five stars. Please give us a nice review. And if you want a little bit of encouragement to do so, we're going to read some of the reviews uh, that you guys have been leaving just to try and, and get you to go and do that for us. Good time, Charlie 80. My guy, good time, Charlie, says, uh, Mike says beautiful Hooters in episode three. <laughs> this podcast is a certified good time. I, I don't remember saying that, but I'm sure I did. Shout out to the Jeffersonville Hooters. Uh, it's where all culture and art and everything good in this community happens. Um, let's see. I, I don't want to read that one. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I want to read one that actually mentions you because there are some good Dumpster Dan stuff. It's like, uh, keep scrolling. Gotta, gotta go a while. <laughs> keep scrolling. Um, let's see. The, the thing was, we had like the one from like the Tammy Mama person or whatever. And some guy tweeted me tonight. I think, Paul, shout out to Paul. I don't have your, I think it was Paul Stevens, maybe. I hope that's right. He was like, I don't know how that that became my name on the podcast, but it was me who left that comment. Tappin' Mommy was the, uh, the the actual name on Spotify, but it really wasn't. Uh, let's see. Karen <laughs> says, I'm all in on cussing Mike Rutherford. Shout out to you. Um, there's some Dumpster Dan references. I don't really want to get there. Uh, let's see. C Pride says, about time you started a podcast, Mike. It'll be a hit. Great stuff. All this good stuff is happening. I, let's see. Oh, here's the one I was looking for. RSW underscore card says, about time Rutherford got his own pod. Dan is insightful slash knowledgeable as well. Basically, it's like listening into a bullshit session with your boys. Great stuff. That's kind of what we're going for here. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this is what we do. Um, you know, when we go out on the weekends and, and, and just talk talk cards basketball. So it's it's great to be able to give this to all the listeners and and kind of fill them in on you know how we talk. All right. Shout out to everybody for listening in to Card Chronicle Podcast episode five. I think I said did I say four at the beginning? Whatever. We're doing so much. We've gotten so big that we can't even remember how episode, how many episodes there are. But we will have a reaction episode, win or lose, for you guys that should be available on Monday morning. In the meantime, enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the lead up. Kill some time, hopefully listening to this podcast. And uh, go Cards. Beat Duke. Go Cards, baby.